ballpark version of fan drive time. Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar live at the Rogers Center with a beautiful, picturesque view of an empty ballpark for now. But uh, it will fill up and we'll get to see it all live here for the next two hours. How's it going, Justin? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, we're adjacent to Ben Wagner's throne. He's in his throne, which is very exciting. So, yeah, we're getting the full experience. This is our audience. He's going to listen to us the whole he, he show. Has to, <laughs> he's supposed to be preparing for his show. He has to listen to us for two hours. I'm sure that's not going to be distracting. Uh, whatsoever, but yeah, it's a loony dog night. You're in the building, so therefore, there is an obvious buzz. Yeah, I haven't seen the counter go up yet, but I'll keep an update on the counter of the loony dogs. We have a direct view of the Schneider's porch, and when the gates open, we'll get yeah, we'll give you the update. Uh, we got a lined up full show here for you as well. We got Dan Schulman joining us, Ben Verlander, Barry Bloom, Ed Belfour. And then we'll say hi to Ben Wagner as we hand him over uh, some of the seats back uh, to wrap up the show. Um, but we got Looney Dogs. We got a lot of things to tee up. But we won't keep Dan Schulman waiting any longer because he's sitting directly behind he's us. We I can feel working, his eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have to swivel our chairs yeah. to see you. I'm, I'm up here in the second row. This is this is a good seat. Now, will you be doing your share to boost the Looney you Dog total tonight? You bet I will yeah, have to okay. take a little venture through. Yeah. You know, I know the numbers go pretty early. Which yeah. is interesting. Have you heard, <laughs> I think it was when Buck was here, not Siddle. Have you heard when we basically begged on the air to help boost the total? If yes. only somebody would bring us hot dogs during the if game. If I was here, I would have come up. Thank you. Because okay. nothing. Okay, cause like, I, we're, I, like we're shameless about it. Nothing. I, what? Well, you, I'm very shameless about it. I'm wearing a hat that says, bad day to be a hot dog. Right. I basically put myself in the promo, and Blue Jays are like, we can't tag this girl in anything. I'm very much <laughs> a, super, a supporter of it, so I would have brought you some, and I'll make sure that next time I'm here, or today. Or today. Uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> I think that could happen later. Too. We could deliver you some. Yeah, if you're wandering by. He wasn't bringing that up for okay, no reason. Okay, no. no, no, we'll make it happen. Yeah. I don't know. Any condiments on it? Uh, mustard only. That's, okay. Isn't that the only way to do it? Or? Uh, there are other ways. Uh, well, it depends really? on you're They're eating. When I had 10, I really had 10? I know, Dan. It's bad. It's bad, Dan. <laughs> I know it's bad. Uh, I had 10 the very first night. In one sitting? In, in one Like in game. one game? Yes. That's, that's pretty impressive. You, that's all I need to know about that. Are you ashamed to speak to me now? No, I'm <laughs> worried for you. I had I had 10 of them, but by the end, really? I needed to put lots of condiments on to help, you know, get it down. Understood, yeah. <laughs> that, that but if you have one or two, mustard's great. Just mustard, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we could go on. Oh, 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 um... Yes. Siddle has a gluten thing, so I'll have his. Oh, no problem. Okay. We can get you a couple. Yeah. You can buy at least right. four at a time. I think this is actually happening. Like yeah. We're actually yeah. getting Dan Looney Dog <laughs> yeah. before we vacate the ballpark tonight. Well, uh, I'll need to plan my dinner accordingly, okay. obviously. There you so. go. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, nothing's changed from a Looney Dog perspective for Ailish, at least. Uh, she's still going to be looking at possibly 10 later, but things seem to have changed for the Blue Jays here in the last 10 days, if we're on the number 10. It does feel like there's a different vibe, maybe different expectations, different ambitions, and it's just really you know, it is a nice little stretch of winning baseball games, yeah. but not that much has changed, at least it seems. And yet we're looking at a different world here after the All-Star break. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's who you play, as you guys know. And, and I know you uh, that we talked about the stretch they had, that crazy 30-game stretch they had earlier in the season. But then, you know, it's funny. You go play the White Sox and the Tigers, and you look a little bit better. And uh, you get no hit once. And, and I think that last game before the break was huge when Danny Jansen hit the home run and somehow they find a way to win that game. I think the conversation over the four-day break would have been a lot of different, a lot different if they didn't win that game. They played well against Arizona. That Arizona's a good team. Not a great team, but they're a good team. And I think kind of every aspect of the Blue Jays came together nicely in that series. Uh, and then, you know, you wake up and you look at the standings, and they're 12 games over. 
two and a half in a playoff spot, three and a half ahead of the Yankees, and they've got the sixth best record in baseball. Now, in two days, they could have the 10th best record in baseball. There's that many teams that are close. Mm -hmm. But my point being is, uh, and you guys know me, I, I mean, the... When it feels like the sky is falling, it's not really – it's not falling yet. It wasn't falling yet. I mean, it was cloudy and a little gloomy, but it wasn't falling. But now they got to keep it going. I, I happen to think San Diego is much better than their record, and then they're going to Seattle and the Dodgers and on. There's some tough games coming. But, yeah, they're, they're playing well. And, you know, if Ryu comes back and if Chad Green comes back, we'll see what Manoa has tonight. It, it's – I think there's one bat coming at the deadline. I don't know who, but I think there's one bat coming in the deadline. You can you can start to see it. The the possibilities going the rest of the way. The dome wasn't fully closed, but it right. was like you know the rain was coming. Do <laughs> yeah. you open it? Do you close it? Yeah. So, uh, you can use that analogy if you Thank want you. later on the show. I'll be listening. Um, okay, so Manoa tonight, obviously, first time back at the ballpark since he was booed off uh, off the field by yeah. Jays fans. I think that was back in June. Uh, what do you expect in terms of just the welcome around Manoa back on the mound? Well, Welcome will be very warm. I think 100%. I hope so, told, yeah. yeah I, I mean, that was, you know, it had been start after start after start, and you could see the frustration in the fans, but the fans love Alec Minow. Everybody knows that, and, and he was good against Detroit. I don't think it was his electric stuff. I thought he was pretty good, and I thought it was Detroit, and, and that they missed some pitches, and I talked to Alec the next day in Detroit, and he talked about some sliders that backed up and hung over the inner half, and they swung through them or took them or fouled them off or whatever. I think he'll need to be better tonight. This is Fernando Tatis and Juan Soto and Manny mm -hmm. Machado and Xander Bogarts. This is, mm -hmm. uh, this is no joke. Uh, here tonight, although, you know, as a team, they don't have a great record. There are some dangerous bats here. So, listen, I, I, I'm not expecting 2022 Alec Manoa, but I think all the Blue Jays are really hoping for and need right now is keep him in the game, Alec Manoa, and, and give the other parts of the team a chance to win. You know, if he can go five, six innings, give up two, three runs, I think that's great. What is the next stage of progression for Alec Manoa? I mean, we clearly, clearly saw, excuse me, uh, some good signs, but you mentioned Detroit Tigers missed some pitches. It yeah. was just the Detroit Tigers. It's a formidable lineup we're looking at across uh, the field here with a lot of big names. Uh, what's the next step to make sure that, you know, progress is continuing here? Slider location. Yeah. So when he's really on, picture a right-handed batter at the plate. He'll start it kind of over the outer half. They'll swing at it, but it winds up down and away. It's the strike-to-ball slider. Uh, he had a few of those. Before, uh, like in the first couple of months of the season, I thought he was either missing by so much they wouldn't swing at it, or then he was maybe trying to compensate and he was just hanging it over the middle of the plate. It's 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 that lane in between, that, like just off the outside corner, so they're chasing it. Um, and the better his slider is, the better everything else looks too, uh, because when they can eliminate the slider. They can sit on the fastball, whether it's the four-seamer or the two-seamer. So uh, we'll see. He's had 11 days since he last started. I'm sure he did something, had a side session or two over the All-Star break. And they're, you know, he's not, and they know this, and he knows this. This is not a finished situation. This is still a work in progress, and it probably will be the rest of the season. The funny thing is, as you guys know, nobody's actually ever come out and said, this is the problem. Like, the, we know right. what the symptoms are, right. but what caused it? That, and that's not our business. That's their business. But whatever it is they're they're still work on it and working on it and, and hopefully you see incremental improvement every start we've got dan shulman here blue jays play-by-play -play announcer with us at sportsnet here in the booth at the rogers center um okay so the rotation has been juggled a little bit since the beginning of this unofficial uh, second half uh what do you make of the way that they're deploying this obviously with the way that kevin gosman is kind of a question mark as well and is this like hunjin ryu's music uh down the line here right. maybe in a couple of days or at the end of this next series that we might see him as well so the first thing is when does gosman come 
come back. So I guess it's Barrios and Bassett the next couple of days, and we still don't know when Gosman will start. It could be in Seattle. Hopefully it's in Seattle. If he's not ready for Seattle, you might be looking at maybe one of those backdated 15-day IL things where he really only misses one or two starts with the All-Star break and all that, and then they bring him back. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu is extremely interesting to me. So he threw 66 pitches when, I think, five innings? Does that sound right? Five innings, I believe, in his last one, which was two, three days ago, So which was the 15th. What's today, the 18th? So three days ago. So I would assume he's going to start on Thursday, probably, and then maybe Tuesday, or is it Friday? See, it's a good thing we have Ben Wagner in the booth. What would Give we Ben do? a headset, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Either his Uber just showed up or he said, or he's, or he's pointing a day ahead that it's Friday. So he's going to start Friday, so then he wouldn't be ready until next Wednesday or Thursday for his next one. Um, that times with when the Blue Jays are going to be at Dodger Stadium. Call me crazy. I don't think they're bringing Hyunjin Ryu back to start at Dodger Stadium where he spent five, six years. I think he will, uh, if there are no setbacks, uh, be ready to make his debut on the next homestand here. So then the obvious next question is, so then what? Like, do they go with six or does somebody come out? And and it's a whole, it depends. Uh, you know, they, they need Alec Manoa to do well. I don't see any scenario where Manoa's in the bullpen. Like, mm-hmm. so they, they want Alec Manoa to stay in the rotation. Let's see what Gosman uh, is doing, if he is healthy, if he is back. You know, Yusei Kikuchi is a guy who went into the bullpen last year because it wasn't going well and did very well in the bullpen. I know it's not what Kikuchi wants to do, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. I could see them rolling a six-man rotation maybe once or twice because I think they've got like 17 games in 17 days, another one of those. But once you start getting off days, you can't have a six-man because then Kevin Gosman's not pitching enough. You need Kevin Gosman to pitch more. So um, I, I think it's one of these, like, uh, flow charts. If then, you know, and it could go a yeah. bunch of different ways depending on how things uh, progress. It feels like there's so many balls in the air. We're two weeks away today from the trade deadline. I don't know if Ryu actually, like, if he's the domino, if he's the one that affects what you're going to do at the deadline. It feels like somewhat of a luxury, whether he's there or not. It's something that you're going to use, but maybe doesn't determine your path. But if there is something that helps or that is going to determine the path of the Blue Jays in terms of what they're going to do at the deadline, what do you see that as the next two weeks? I mean, I think they need a right-handed bat with some power no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know if they're looking at it this way, but with all the guys we've talked about, you've got six possibilities in your rotation. And then you've got maybe that Richards-Francis Francis combo thing is as a, you know, a deeper uh, a possibility. You don't want to do it, but you know you can do it a little bit here and there. I think the most urgent thing for this team is a right-handed bat with some power. A veteran guy doesn't play seven days a week, starts against lefties, maybe starts against righties, or comes off the bench to pinch hit for a left-handed batter, that sort of thing. He could play second base. He could be an outfielder. I don't want a DH-only type, I don't think. I think I want somebody who could play in the field somewhere. But I think they need a threat um, off the bench from the right side. They've not hit lefties well. With all their right-handed bats, they have not hit lefties well this season. So uh, I'd love to see them get a a right-handed bat with some power. I don't think this is going to be a knock-your-socks-off deadline. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a fill-in-around-the-edges deadline for this team. I think for this team, it's mostly about everybody on the team who's already here just doing a little bit better than they've done. Not everybody, but you know what I'm saying. For sure. I I feel like that's kind of been the up-and-downs of the season. We talk like once every couple weeks, and, you know, it is the, the sky is falling or not or these players are performing at a high rate um do you think that 
what you saw from Vladdy this past weekend and since uh, the All-Star break and his obviously his home run derby excellence, you're going to see a different Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this second half? Uh, I think he's been, his process and the way he's looked has been better. And Joe Siddle and I, more off the air than on, but we talk about good takes. We talk about takes as much as we talk about swings. And we've liked his takes. He's not chasing as much, but he's still not waffling mistakes like like peak Vladdy can do. So I think he's, uh, you look at his numbers, clearly he's been better over the last 17, 18 games. He's like 18 RBIs in 17 games at an OPS close to 900, something like that. He has been better. And, and I don't know that anybody should expect 2021 Vladdy, but if you could split the difference, you, you know, that's still a, a, a heck of a hitter. Matt Chapman is, is quietly really coming around right now. He's starting to do some damage. Whit Merrifield is hot. George Springer's doing fine. That Bo Bichette guy is just doing Bo Bichette things. It, it's really, if you could get guys like Varsho and Kirk, you know, down near the bottom of the order, hitting, that, that really lengthens the lineup. But offensively, I, I think they're getting there. But it's not like a tidal wave. It, they haven't, like, you know, burst through a portal and here they are. They're, they're just all starting to do a little bit better. And that might be enough to get them where they want to get because they do have a deep lineup. Truer statement, Dan. The Blue Jays have an elite bullpen or the Blue Jays are a bad base running team? Truer statement? Mm-hmm. Elite bullpen. I th- <laughs> the base running is interesting. <laughs> the base running, because it can be, it depends who and when, You're, right? Like there, have, there are great base runners on this team. Mm-hmm. Varsho is as good a base runner as there is in baseball. Kiermaier's probably right there with him. Um, I think Matt Chapman is a very good base runner, and I think Whit Merrifield is too. He's had two or three moments where he's been overly aggressive and he's been caught. So I think the base running has been both excellent and bad at times. Overall, I wouldn't say bad. I would say not as good as we thought it would be, but I wouldn't say bad. The, the bullpen, uh, again, I don't know that I would say elite. I, I know you didn't give me a choice there, but um, <laughs> and I know they're top five in this and all yeah. that. You know, we're gonna, we got a big graphic. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about it on the air tonight. It, it's much, much better than it was. But you could always find room for one more seventh, eighth inning, get me a strikeout guy, and maybe his name is Chad Green. We don't know. We'll see what he looks like. He hasn't pitched. I don't think he's even pitched in a minor league rehab game yet, and I thought he would have by now. So he's obviously at least a couple of weeks away. But they they have a, a much better – if they had this bullpen in 2021 – I'm not sure there wouldn't have been a parade down Young Street or Bay. Oh. Where, where would it go? Bay Street or Young Street? Bay, uh, Young Street. Bay Street. Uh, hopefully I mean, all of them. Wherever yeah. they want to go. Wherever they do parades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I think, I think 2021, the bullpen they had in the first half of the year kept them out of the playoffs. And, yeah. and I think they thought, and I might have agreed with them, that in late September they were as good as any team in baseball, but they had lost so many games early they just couldn't make up the You ground. haven't been as high on the bullpen. I, I feel now. like I'm still fighting preconceived notions with I'm the bullpen, saying, and that's what I wanted to ask just you Just fall in love with it, Justin. Because I just like – I don't know. I ha- maybe I just have um, 2015, 2016 seared into my brain where the Royals dominate the, yeah. the, uh, the well, the Guardi- Cleveland dominated them uh, at that point. Like, it, it just feels like. Well, you kind of backed me into a corner with the way you phrased I, I that. Did, I did. I did. I definitely yeah, did. did. I definitely did. But I, I wanted to yeah, know. And, and that's what you said. Yeah. I mean, if they were that good, they are definitely good enough. Yeah. However, I do think they're still room for improvement, but I also worry about the guys who are, are showing internal improvement this year. Like, I'm still not, are they, are they for real? 
are these guys Meaning individuals Richards for real? And is Pearson. Richards for real? Right. Yeah, I yeah. think I think down the line, Swanson still hasn't shown you know over the course of you know many months of a regular season to be that guy yet. I'm just not sure we're not crossing our fingers just right. a little bit with some of these guys. So I thought Swanson was outstanding until he wore down kind mm-hmm. of in the couple of weeks before the All Star break, um, and, and and we'll see. But I, I think he had a very good first half. At this point, I think you've got to give, or at least the way I feel, we've seen a lot of Trevor Richards, a lot of him. A lot, yeah. I think this is who he is right now, which is great. He is still not likely to be the guy on the mound in the eighth inning of a one-run game in a play, one-run lead in a playoff game. That would probably be Swanson, or if it's righties, Jimmy Garcia, or maybe even Nate Pearson. And Pearson, obviously, uh, I don't want to say he's a wild card because I think he's come up and done a nice job. But there are some days when he gets knocked around a little bit or he struggles with command a little bit. And then there's other days where you go, ah, that's the guy. And he, that guy, that to me is, he, he could be the difference between a good and a great bullpen. Because if you can bring Nate Pearson in a playoff game against Houston or Tampa Bay or, or Texas, and if he's throwing 101 and blowing people away in the seventh or eighth inning, that that's a game changer, I I, I think. So um, I think he's done well, and, and hopefully he'll get a little bit more consistent. But if they have Pearson and Green and Jimmy Garcia and Richards and Swanson and Romano and Meza, I like I like that group. That's that's a better group than they've had the last few years. I think. Get on board, so. Justin. And it's the depth's important too because you mentioned with Pearson, it's like if you see too much, you're going to run into problems. Mm. And I guess when you're talking about the playoffs, you kind of need those guys who are just every night, every other night, whenever they're called upon, because those big leverage situations are going to continue to present themselves. Hopefully, if you're winning baseball games right. or you're in position to win baseball games, I do feel like it's maybe a little bit more patchwork than they would need it to be for a well-oiled machine that's going to win a World Series. But again, if you have that depth, and if you have the guy like Meza that you can always rely on, Romano that you can always rely on, right. maybe you are there, or maybe you're one arm away from being there. Right. So I think what they've done a great job of is raising the floor. Their 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th guys in the bullpen, whoever they are, are way better than their 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th guys in the bullpen the last couple of years. That, to me, can get you to the playoffs. What you need to win in the playoffs, though, is a pretty good ceiling, right? And, and I think that's probably what you're what you're wondering about is, you know, eighth inning in Texas or in Baltimore or wherever, can, can you get those guys out? Um, we don't know. We don't know for sure. I don't think they're good. Like, do they go out and get a David Bednar or a David Robertson or, or um, uh, an Andres Munoz from Seattle who throws 102 and strikes everybody out? That'd be wonderful. I don't know if they're going to do that. I, I think they might get the bat over the relief arm. Relief arms are the easiest thing to get. The other problem, though, as you guys know, is the farm system isn't mm-hmm. great, right? Yeah. So they don't have a lot. Other teams have shinier toys right now to, to give in a trade. So we'll see. But I, I, I think the bullpen is 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 pretty good right now. But it, it might. you're right. It might have to be better than... It, it might have to be great rather than good for them to have a deep run in October. We're chatting with Dan Schulman of Sportsnet. Okay, we won't keep you for too long because I know you've got lots of stuff to do down here. People start piling in. You have real <laughs> tasks to take. Um, but just tee up what we're going to see here from the Padres. I know you mentioned that their record maybe isn't as like uh, as true to the team that they are, and they have some great starting pitching that we're going to see over the next couple of days. Yeah, so we know it's going to be Musgrove tonight, and we know it's going to be Darvish, who's not having a great year, but he's still Darvish. I don't think they've announced for sure Thursday, but if it's Blake Snell, He's having like a Blake mm-hmm. Snell, Cy Young mm-hmm. kind of year. They're 44 and 50, which is not good considering their payroll and all of uh, the players they have. Um, they're 0 and 9 in extra innings, and they have the worst record in baseball in extra innings and the worst record in baseball in one run games. 
which oh. is weird. Uh, but it says to me, you know, some people say, well, what are they doing wrong to lose those games? Or what do you do right to win those games? Some people say that's just luck. Hmm. Um, I think they're better than their record. Um, you know, Soto Machado. Machado's not having his vintage year, although he's got eight home runs in his last 12 games. But Soto Machado, Tatis, and Bogarts. Yeah, his July has been crazy, Crazy, right? right. Yeah. So the four big-name bats, the three big-name starters, and Josh Hader, who's an elite reliever. They have a top-heavy roster, but those eight guys you could put up against just about anybody's eight guys. So I think this is a... I, I know they're behind Arizona in the standings by like eight games. I think this is a better team than Arizona. I think this is a bigger challenge for the Blue Jays than Arizona. Uh, we'll see. They just lost three out of four to the Phillies, but the Phillies are very hot right now, but um, it, it's not going to be easy. Musgrove's pitching very well. Snell's pitching extremely well. Um, and it should be a very, very fun series. Sounds like they need a, a Blue Jays-like bullpen because <laughs> yes. if, if you're having trouble yeah. late game, if yeah. you're having trouble outside the starting pitching, uh, yeah. that might be the problem. So it could be like the last series where Blue Jays had some late-inning offense that really keyed some victories, huge. and uh, that might be the exact same thing that we're looking at here versus San Diego. And that's huge because before Mitch White walking three guys, like that kept Swanson at – like they win three games without Jordan Romano. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have had to have used Swanson in the third game, but they had to have used Swanson. And, and every day off you can get your key guys i believe down the stretch you know helps you later on in the season so offense can help bullpen in a strange sort of way that we all get so yeah if they can add on some runs late but first they they got to get to the starter uh to begin with so but i i think it'll be fun it, it feels like this team is never here like well arizona too yeah. it felt, felt like those right. teams and now it'll be every second year obviously but it's it's fun to see these guys I, I don't know about you guys i love the new schedule i think it's cool i'm all good with seeing a little bit less of yankees and red sox and orioles <laughs> yeah, and rays nice refreshing for you yeah it's a little <laughs> Same e- guys every yeah time. it's a little extra prep but that's fine <laughs> so um i I'm, I'm excited about this i'm excited to go out to dodger stadium next week mm. and see what that's all there about so uh, it'll be fun uh, it's a loony dog night. Please eat responsibly. We will. So. And I just wanted to say, total dogs sold three already. <laughs> and I, they weren't me, but no. there has been three dogs sold, and it's 321. Okay, so I people, mean, people are getting on it early that's here, reasonable. That's, that's reasonable. reasonable. Is that new? Did it just change? That just changed oh, during really? our interview. So Somebody maybe that's one for line. each of us. That's right. <laughs> okay. Mustard only. There you go. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming by. Thanks, I really guys. appreciate Have it. Fun. Have appreciate a good call it, tonight. Uh, great to chat with you. That's Dan Schulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer at Sportsnet. Uh, teeing up today's big game. we got Alec Benoa on the mound. Uh, first time that he's been out here at Rogers Center since June 5th, and we remember that one. Uh, that was the one with one out. One out was recorded. Um, that was a tough game, and he has now come back, and we're going to see him back at the Rogers Center. I do expect a warm welcome for him. I do expect the fans to hopefully have a little bit of patience, though, right? Like, don't get, if you know, if it's not a great start, you have to kind of help usher. Alec Mandoa back into the Roger Center moment, I think. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I'm a little reluctant to tell fans how they should, you know, uh, conduct themselves beyond, you know, anything that's beyond or egregious. Mm-hmm. Be, but, like, you have your opportunity to voice your opinion. Uh, I do think a little grace would be a good thing, though, because I think, you know, we, we've talked about Alec Manoa in terms of where he's at mentally, how big that Friday night was for him, and now this is another opportunity and a bigger opportunity, maybe a bigger spot in terms of what's going to really prove to himself oh, that he can get this spot. done. This is a big, big, big spot for him, and uh, you know, you'd like to see him not affected if things are not immediately 
immediately good like they were at least against Detroit. But uh, yeah, this is a, this is a big game, and as Dan mentioned, um, we're not exactly seeing a lesser lineup. We're going to yeah. see the top three pitchers from San Diego in this series, and we're going to see, as Dan mentioned, uh, eight guys who can hang with anyone's eight guys across baseball. Yeah, a young, uh, top-heavy roster coming into town. We have heard that before. Um, got. We're looking here at the Rogers Center. This is the first time we've done the broadcast from down here. It's a cool atmosphere. Like, it's quiet right now. Obviously, it's only 3.30, so fans aren't here. But you're starting to see some players trickle out on the field. Uh, we saw someone doing batting practice before we were getting all set up here in a rush. I didn't see who it was, but it was the Padre. So they're here. They're on the field. They're getting ready. Three dogs have been sold. <laughs> yeah, three what dogs. What a perfect start. It's not moving. The counter's got to have to uh, get Oh, get it going will. if it's going to. By the end of the show, we should have an over under. Again. Yeah, I've never been here uh, for uh, like this early for a ball game. Like mm-hmm. I've kind of, I'll be seeing what happens in the 3 p.m., 4 p.m. hour for the first time uh, in my life. But uh, you know, you can expect some uh, batting practice. Well, we do know that the media starts pretty soon. Like we have some. Uh, yeah, some, some media members congregating down there. There they it are. Seems. There's Hazel. We should say hi. We Look at we could, we're kind of like creeping people from up here. We'll yell at Hazel during the break. Like there's a lot of people around. Um, all right, so we're live uh, for the next uh, hour and a half here. Um, fan drive time with Justin and Ailish. We've got a, a full slate of guests joining us. Ben Verlander will come on the show after the break. Uh, get a bit of a national perspective of your Blue Jays and a guy that is so high on Shohei Otani. Like if you look at his Twitter feed, every tweet is about Shohei Otani. So we'll get uh, an update of last night. There's a the 35th home run of Shohei's season. He does a bat flip. Ben Verlander tweeted out a photo saying that was the best photo ever. And Blue Jays fans are in his mention saying Ooh, okay. Jose, we'll Bautista, have to challenge him Jose Bautista would like a word. Yeah. We'll have uh, Ben after the break. Then we'll have Barry Bloom of Sportico. So we'll get a little bit of a financial look at the Angels. Um, how the, this, If they do decide to trade Shohei Otani, how do you even begin to value uh, it, and, and put a price tag on that? Eddie Balfour will join us at 4.30. Uh, he just was inducted to the Dallas Stars Hall of Fame and obviously a former Leaf, and so we'll get a little touch on that. And then Ben Wagner will help us wrap up the show, who was sitting here and has left, so he was probably sick of us already. <laughs> He's still got an hour and a half of us to come. So uh, fan drive time with Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfa from the Rogers Center. After the break, we'll have Ben Verlander. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time. Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar live from the Rogers Center ahead of Blue Jays back in action here against the San Diego Padres. Alec Manoa on the mound making his big return after a little time off. A little time away. Yeah, a little time squad. away from Rogers Center, of yeah, course. Uh, I think 3.30 was like the call time because there are now numerous Blue Jays on the field yeah. starting their warm-ups for tonight's game against the San Diego Padres. So we're seeing, we're just people watching right now from the booth <laughs> uh, for Sportsnet 590 The Fan, and it's pretty cool, actually. All right, we've got uh, a lineup of guests today, and our next one, Ben Verlander, host of the Flippin' Bats podcast at Fox Sports. MLB analyst joins us live. How's it going, Ben? It's great. How are you? We are swell. Um, you did upset a couple um, Toronto fans with your tweet last night. I'm not sure if you saw, um, but you tweeted out 
Shohei Otani with a bat flip, and I, I just now you're coming on Toronto Sports Radio, and I think we just deserve a little bit of credit for Jose Bautista's bat flip. Is it rank anywhere in there for you? Because I know you thought you had number one last night. You know, the Jose Bautista bat flip to me kicked off the entire bat flip journey that Major League Baseball. So the OG. Now. That will, <laughs> you never forget the first, and that was the real one that, you know, that one kind of started the motion in baseball, so I will forever love that one until the end of time. Okay, so it holds a special heart. That's good. We won't hang up on you. Uh, we will continue. So Shohei last <laughs> night, I mean, he's been the story of the year, the summer, and now the trade deadline. He gets his 35th home run. Uh, got the, the beautiful bat flip. Then they have the eventual walk-off win over the Yankees. Just, I know you're, you're, you're stateside, so you get to have a little bit more of a pulse on the Shohei conversation down there. But just how incredible has this season been for this guy and this year with the MLB and, and I guess the pending uh, story that might be written? Yeah, you know, I, I think that is that's become the story of of the year. And, you know, I, I understand it. You know, is he gonna get moved? Is he gonna get traded? Where is he going to end up next year? And I get it because we're talking about, you know, the biggest free agent in baseball history, but probably the biggest free agent in, in the history of American professional sports. I mean, he's gonna get over half a billion dollars and that's become the conversation, but you know, the conversation needs to to be about what he's doing this year. And obviously 2021, his MVP year last year, he ends up losing out to Aaron judge, but there's an argument that that season was better than his 2021 season. And now we're seeing the best season that we've ever seen hands down. I mean, there, the, the month of June he had was the single greatest month in the history of baseball. And I don't say that lightly, you know, I, I looked into it a lot and offensively it compares to, you know, the 1930s with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, and then there's the Joe DiMaggio month and Sammy Sosa's month where he hit 20-plus homers. So offensively is one of the greatest months ever, and you add into it that he pitched to a, about a three ERA, and, you know, that the month of June is just the epitome of the season he's having. This is currently the greatest season that we've ever seen in baseball, and uh, I, hope, I hope people are appreciating it and not just talking about where is he going to end up. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? Because how could you ever give up on a player who's having the greatest season in the history of baseball midseason, right? Like, it doesn't really make much sense, but there could be a trade that you know, wouldn't derail his season, but would derail sort of the narrative and the trajectory and what he's doing with the Angels this year. Might go to a different league. We can get to that in a little bit. But you mentioned, you know, p potentially the greatest season ever. Uh, statistically, uh, you can, yeah, we can say that, and that sounds amazing, but statistically, what backs that up? Like, what's on the table for him if if he continues on this trajectory and finish the season, how he, how he's played the season up until this point. Well, yeah, as, as it sits right now, he's ahead of the home run pace that Aaron judge was on last year. Now, Aaron judge, obviously in the second half was on another planet and, and went off, but you know, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility for Shohei to, to beat the American league home run record the year after Aaron Judge broke it So, and, and while hitting over 300. Um, so offensively, this is a remarkable season while also pitching to a three ERA. And I know he's been dealing with a fingernail issue that made him come out of three or four straight starts. But when he's been on this year on the mound, he's been dominant. And um, I, I just, you know, th there's, nothing to, there's nothing to compare it to. That, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, we can sit here offensively. I, I would consider Aaron Judge's season – last year one of the one of the best offensive seasons we've ever seen obviously if you if you're 
taking home the the American League home run record and the Yankees home run record that should that should tell you something and and this year offensively Shohei is rivaling that and and is on pace to to have the same season as Aaron Judge did last year while also pitching and I and I I just don't think people quite grasp how difficult that is you know I was I was a two-way player in college at Old Dominion in, in Virginia and it was so difficult to even do at the college level because of the amount of time it takes away from one or the other. You find yourself cutting corners one place to go do this or cutting corners here to go do that. And ultimately what ended up happening for me is my junior year, I had to stop and I focused everything I could on just becoming a hitter and my career took off from there. So the fact that Shohei is, is divvying up his time between one and the other at, at an all-star level in major league baseball is just something that I, I struggle to wrap my brain around and that's me who, who tried to do this at a, at a college level. And I really don't think people understand how impressive it is what he's doing on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it feels like only Shohei could potentially stop the Shohei problem for the Angels, which is like, hey, if we're still not competitive with this guy, what what are we doing if we hold on to him and lose him for nothing? And I'm not really sure that the internal processes are working like that. Like, it almost seems like there's a ton of risk in just trading this guy because it looks awful. So, in your opinion, what are the Angels calculating internally right, right, right now? Like, what are they weighing here as they try to make this decision? We've got important games coming here for the angels uh it just seems like it's all to play for right now uh in terms of this trade or this potential trade and it just feels like a no-win situation for the angels well it's become a no-win situation for the angels because they put themselves in a no-win situation you know they if you want a perfect scenario you got to go back to last year where you realize the writing's on the wall this guy's a free agent after next year and this is speaking as if we step back to last year he's going to be a free agent are we going to be a playoff team next year? Maybe. I mean, we can try and add pitching and, and squeak into the playoffs, but are we going to just transform into a World Series team? Probably not. So with a year plus of control, what they should have done last year is looked in the mirror, had an honest conversation, and changed the course of their franchise for the next decade plus by getting something for Shohei Otani. But now, as you mentioned, you're in this position where – what do you do? I mean, if, if I'm in charge, you have to trade. You have to trade him. I mean, he's not going to stick around. You have to get something for him. What are you going to get at this point? Because we're two, three months, two, three months of control. Um, but you can't not, you, you can't allow the greatest talent that the game of baseball has ever seen to be on your team for five plus years and let him walk for nothing more than a compensation pick in the draft. And, and that's what I think we're looking at. And if I were a betting man, I, I really think that's what's about to happen with the Angels. Is they're not going to trade him. He's going to walk in free agency. And after all of this, they're going to wind up with nothing. Not a single playoff appearance with him. Not a single new player on the team to help transform the organization. I think he's going to walk and they're going to get nothing. But I don't, I don't see how you can let that happen. I, I, would, I would trade him for the best package available. 
I'm just thinking if that ever happened in Toronto, I'm pretty sure the city would implode. Like, I just, I can't imagine a fan base losing some of that caliber for nothing. You know, we, we have this sometimes trades with, like, hockey guys, and it's not even on the same level. Like, this is, this is as you said, like, once-in-a-lifetime type thing that we're seeing. And the Blue Jays are going to see the Angels uh, next weekend. It might be his last couple games as an Angel, so we'll see. But if he does get the opportunity to go elsewhere, like, how do you begin to value what a package would be? Like, this is the hardest job in baseballs. How do you start to uh, sell or take offers for someone that is Shohei Otani if that is the route they go? And hopefully it is. Well, I, I do think that's the difficult conversation that needs to be had. But if you're, if, you, if you're the Angels, you really have lost all leverage. You know, if you don't accept a trade package, then you're just, like I said, he's going to end up walking without getting anything. So you've lost your leverage. You're not going to get a ton but with that said, we're still talking about Shohei. I still do believe you're going to get uh, an, an insane package that we may have never seen before. But obviously, it's just for two or three months. Um, I, I don't know how you go about that. I think a team needs to evaluate how important this season is to them. And I was talk- I have John Smoltz on, on my show, Flipping Bats, every Saturday. And we talked about this recently. Of well, how my- I asked him, I was like, because he was saying, I, I would like to see the Yankees go out and get Shohei Otani or some or another team go be aggressive. And I asked them, how aggressive do you be? I mean, how, how aggressive should you be for a guy like this who you'll have under control for two or three months? And he said, I, to me, you go all in. If you're in a position where your team could win a World Series, if you add a guy like him who's an eighth of the staff and a middle of the lineup bat, if you're in a position where you feel like you can win, go do it. Do what you need to do. Offer the Angels a package that they can't refuse to go get him and become the favorites in your league and potentially win a World Series. So I think it's up to the team. How much of the future do you want to send away for a current player that can that can literally make your season? Uh, I, I don't know. That's why I, uh, I, I don't want to be in their position. I don't know what to do, but it, it is an interesting conversation. Uh, we're chatting with Ben Verlander, host of the Flippin' Bats podcast and Fox Sports MLB analyst, of course. Um, is it even worth it if you're not World Series ready? Like, the marketing impact that Shohei could have, even for a couple months, would that be worth it even for a team that, you know, may be a little bit hopeful if they're thinking World Series this October? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was I saw something on uh, on social media the other day of the – the Rockies owner responding to a fan email of like, Hey, we should go get Shohei. And his response was something similar to what you just said. Like it sure would be a fun couple of months. And, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what's going to happen, but imagine a world in which Shohei spends September and October in Kansas city with the Royals, you know, like <laughs> it, it really would. The fan base I'm sure would love it. They're not going to do anything with, with him. But, uh, yeah, you certainly would gain a lot of merchandise sales. Your ticket sales would go through the roof. But uh, I think if you're going to, to ship out players for the future, obviously you're going to do it for a win-now mode. And the Rockies and, and Royals aren't exactly in a win-now sort of mode. 
No, uh, definitely not. Okay, so we teed up uh, Shohei, who's coming to Rogers Center next week. But let's talk about this Jays team that we're looking at right now on the field. Uh, what's the national perspective on the Blue Jays? You know, coming out of the All-Star break here, they have put themselves in a better position than they had previously at the beginning of the season, obviously with the Rays running away with the AL East. But uh, they're young, they're hungry, and maybe they have their best baseball in front of them. Is that, is that what the pulse is down south? Yes, absolutely. I, I've been pretty high on this Jays team since the beginning of the year. And I think um, by and large, it's just been a, a roller coaster. At times they make me feel really good about being all in on them. And at times they make me feel like, well, what, what was I thinking? And right now they're, they're towards the, the beginning of that. They're towards the, well, they're making me feel really good. The offense is great. Um, I was a big believer in Kevin Gosman and, and Alex Manoa and and the and Chris Bassett at the top of the rotation this year and, and thought if Jose Barrios can can get back to form, um, this team is going to be a World Series caliber team. And if you had told me in in April or whatever, in February, that Jose Barrios was going to get back to his, his ways and have a three three RA through the all star break and uh, his stuff is, has come back and, and he looks great. I would have said this team's probably leading the division. Now, what I couldn't have foreseen is, is Alex Manoa um, going through what he's gone through this year. But hopefully, hopefully he's back. Hopefully it was just a, a, a little uh, – I, I think it was probably a combination of, of physical and mental things going on. I think he probably got in his head, and hopefully he went down and was able to figure that out. I know he looked, he looked good in his first start back. So I, I think this team is, is poised to – to go on a run here. I, I really do. They rake. They have one of the best offenses in baseball. They have one of the best top of the pitching rotation. If Alec Manoa is Cy Young Alec Manoa, Cy Young caliber pitcher. And I know that's a question mark right now, but they have the makings of being an elite team in this league. And, and right now they're, they're starting to play like it. So it's got to be an exciting time to, to be a fan and watch what this team's doing. Yeah, in addition to sort of solidifying, that, solidifying their place, at least in, in the short term, in terms of the playoff pecking order uh, with this uh, stretch right now, eight wins from their last nine games, I think it's brought a measure of clarity to what they have to do before the deadline. It seems, you know, the Ryu thing could be a luxury if he comes back and Manoa getting back. we do not not really sure if he's going to be the Alec Manoa that we expected to be in the season, but it feels like it's going to be stable, their starting rotation, as it really has been for more, most of the season, and that right now it's seems like they're looking if they're going to do anything before the deadline is bringing an impact bat into the fold do you see that as the one glaring need for the blue jays right now and if you do subscribe to that like is there someone who profiles well in terms of an addition for this team that could slot in whether it's taking over some some outfield reps some second base reps uh and and bringing a measure of completeness to a starting lineup which you know is definitely has its warts and has areas where it can certainly improve yeah, you know, when I think of the Blue Jays and, and what could help improve the team, one, um, the mindset goes to the rotation and what you're getting from Alec Manoa. And I don't think to get to the playoffs, they need Manoa to be the Cy Young caliber pitcher. They just need him to be better. And then by the time you get to the playoffs, him, him be there. So I really like the rotation. Uh, I would love to see the Blue Jays add some some pieces in the bullpen to bridge the gap from – the fifth or sixth inning to Jordan Romano, kind of bridge that gap in there in the, in the sixth if you need somebody and seventh, eighth inning in there. And then, of course, I mean, adding an impact that will forever be, uh, forever be something that, that's almost a luxury. Does, does the offense need it to score runs? 
I don't think so. And and I hope I hope Vladdy Jr. gets back to being the the big feared power hitter. Obviously, he's still a good hitter, and he's been good this year. But he hasn't been that 50 home run type power threat. And hopefully, winning the Derby and coming out of the break and hitting a homer after the All Star break and and can help him turn around and be that big. I, I think I think the lineup, despite all of the offensive studs they have in that lineup, George Springer. Bo Bichette, Bo leads the league in hitting every year. Bo, Bo's going to hit until he's 80 years old. It's unbelievable. Uh, but I think that lineup, look, I think that lineup rides with, with Vladdy Jr. and how good he is going to be. Is he going to be an elite, all-star, uh, triple crown type player that we've seen him be? Or is he going to be a, a good Major League Baseball player? I think that makes or break the lineup. And if he can be that guy, I really do think this team – could really just benefit from a from some really good middle relief bullpen setup options, and I think that makes them a complete team. Okay, Ben. So the Blue Jays are about to start this three game set against the Padres. Um, I think you've said it that they might be one of the most uh, disappointing teams this season. They still have a lot of young talent, a lot of big names, but haven't been able to perform uh, even with that payroll. So how do you put the Padres in the national perspective of teams that might be underwhelming to you? Uh, a nightmare. That's how I put it. And <laughs> them and the Mets. <laughs> them and the Mets. If, it's the most dis- if, if neither of them make the playoffs, which it's a long shot at this point, but if both of them go on to not make the playoffs, it'll be the biggest disappointing of the biggest disappointment of a season in the history of baseball uh, for both of them. I don't understand how you know you have the Mets spending the most money of all time, and that's not working out for them. They're below 500 team. You have the Padres with that lineup with Tatis and Soto and Machado and Bogart and a rotation that since the beginning of May, the Padres rotation has been the best starting pitching rotation in the National League. If you were to say that to Padres fans or any baseball fans heading into the year, you would say, well, the Padres, have they even lost yet? I mean, how are they on pace to break the Mariners 116 win record? And you look up and they're the worst team in baseball with batting average with runners in scoring position. And it just, it doesn't make any sense what they're doing. Um, so I, yeah, if I had to put a, a word to it, it'd be nightmare. It's a nightmare of a season to this point. Yeah. It's almost hard to fathom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we're looking at this lineup uh, across from uh, so many stars. Uh, we're seeing three really good pitchers come through Toronto and yet uh, the Padres still dealing with a lot of issues. Uh, let's go to the AL East. I mean, it's been, I guess, historically good this year. Uh, I don't know if that's falling off just a little bit. If we're doing a little stock report though, it seems like Rays and Yankees down Orioles and Red Sox up just a little bit. Um, do you have predictions for the, the final second half of the season here? Are, are there, is there real concern about where the Yankees are headed? Could the Orioles chase down the Rays? Where do you see this headed in the American League East over the back half of the season? I mean, shoot, the, the Orioles have almost caught the Rays. They're a game back as we sit right now. Blue Jays sitting, I, I believe it's five and a half back. Um, so, yeah, you know, the Rays got off to that early start they did, and not even really early. The first couple months of the year, they were they were unbelievable. But they, they really have fallen back down to earth, and I do believe they're a good baseball team, but they're just kind of treading water right now, and they're not playing great baseball. They've lost you know, their last 10. I think they've lost seven of those. So I, they're falling back down to earth, and then you have other teams that are catching them. So can the, can the Orioles win the division? Uh, y- yes, 
but I think they need to add at the deadline. They need to add some pitching to be um, to be AL East winners. And uh, you know, I I definitely believe the Blue Jays are capable of winning the division. They're sitting five and a half out right now. They they haven't lost since the they haven't lost in the second half of the season. They're extremely talented. Um, so I, I I just think the division is getting closer and closer. And as you mentioned, Rays down right now. Yankees down right now. That division is just a a hot mess with how talented everybody is. And the fact that the Yankees, everybody wants to, to laugh at the Yankees and joke on them. Well, they're 50 and 45. Yeah, you know, they're in last place, yes. But they're not that far out of the playoff spot with Aaron Judge not playing and hopefully coming back soon. So this division, I truly believe you can make an, an argument for, you know, the Yankees being nine out doesn't – it'd be tough for them to come back and win it. It'd be tough for the, the Red Sox. But I really think Rays, Orioles, Blue Jays, um, man, I, I think that's anybody's game. And, and the Blue Jays, hopefully, you know, I, I'll stick with the Blue Jays. They were my preseason predictions. Nothing's happened to this point to, to make me fall off of that. So five and a half out in the middle of July, I'll stick with them and, and say they can win it. Okay, you're a fan favorite now. You're back in the good books, uh, even though you tweeted about Shohei <laughs> having a better battle. That's no worries. We'll, we'll allow you back. And you know what? There's good money to be won on the Blue Jays right now if you think they can win the ALS. I think they're like still plus 800 or something to take that. So uh, put your money where your mouth is and uh, maybe put the Blue Jays in uh, for that as well. Ben, we appreciate you jumping on with us today. Great to chat. Um, hopefully we catch up with you down the road and maybe there's a, a Shohei trade that we can break down as well. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. That's that's uh, Ben Verlander, host of the Flippin' Bats podcast and a Fox Sports MLB analyst. Yeah, I think the Baltimore Orioles hold the key, right? Uh, oh, just a, game just back. a game back right mm-hmm. now, playing so well, have all this talent on the roster, have obvious needs or obvious areas in which they can improve. I mean, they could add two starting pitchers to that group, uh, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be you know beyond reason right so uh, is, they got all the currency in the world with this uh, with this rebuild and all the prospects in their system I don't expect them to burn their A prospects I don't expect those guys we hear so much about uh, out the door but I feel like if they're in a bidding war with anyone I mean it's really going to be difficult to beat Baltimore yeah um, still a fun team to cheer for and watch but when it gets to the point of taking a spot from the Blue Jays not as much so uh, we're live at the ballpark it's uh one hour left of fan drive time. Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar. We're seeing guys out on there. There's the Blue Jays all warming up, throwing. Like, it's just crazy to see them from this angle. I was a little jealous. They had, like, the whole, I don't know if it's the home run machine, but it's basically just throwing fly balls in the Yeah, we left. need to get down there and, and I was just one. like, I just want to <laughs> track down a fly ball right now. Maybe embarrass myself, but I really just want to do that. All right, we got uh, two guests to wrap up the final hour of fan drive time. Barry Bloom will join us after the break, a Sportico writer, a financial expert. How is the Shohei thing going to work out if somebody does cash in on the sweepstakes? And we'll have Ed Belfour, Leafs legend, to wrap up the show on fan drive time ahead of Blue Jays and Padres tonight. It's Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar on fan drive time. Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
cool. We were back on Fan Drive Time, <laughs> and I had a hot mic. It was cool. It was, it was cool. It was we were cool. talking about it's, some cool stuff. It's cool being down here at cool. Rogers Center. You were uh, looking out into the distance at all the Blue Jays tossing You, you know what else is cool? What? A little uh, San Diego Padres news. Yeah, the, this came across the timeline. If anyone wanted to boo, like, we, we don't want you booing Alec Manoa at any point, of course. And I don't think he's going to give you reason to boo. But normally, there's a public enemy number one in Rufnet Odor. And he's, of course, a member of the San Diego Padres, or was a member of the San Diego Padres, but got DFA'd. Hours ago. Hours ago. Mere hours ago before entering the Rogers Center. Interesting. He can be a bit of a problem at Rogers Center. Yeah, Uh, you think? So maybe that's a good thing. But if you were, you know, looking at a little catharsis, a little opportunity to take out some frustration by booing a member of the opposition, uh, the number one, yeah, the number one public enemy, number one, the best candidate to put that attention toward, uh, not an option anymore for the San Diego Padres. There's few people, I think, less in the Toronto stratosphere that fans get up to boo more than him. He's one of the few, like, consensuses, right? Right. Like, everybody is down to hate on Odor. There's not a person out there that's like, well, actually, give him a chance. <laughs> He's a nice guy. Yeah. Just just trust me. Give him... No, nobody has that type of spin zone. No one has that spin it's zone. It's boo central when he's around. Um, we're waiting to get our buddy Barry Bloom on the line, but we did want to bring up the Seattle thing. Seattle's ballpark mm-hmm. is selling Blue Jays merch. In their own store, like the Jays store here. In preparation for the Jays coming to town. They shortly. have a whole section, not even just like a couple shirts, like a whole, I don't know, aisle of Blue Jays gear. Yeah, I'm not like a it's karma, crazy. I'm not like a karma guy, but I'm kind of a karma guy here. Like, I do not think you're coming back from this. Like, I, I don't think someone like an employee in a team shop can have a difference on whether or not your team is going to have failure or success. But I feel like I'm willing to make an exception here, mm. where this is something you do not come back from. You do not come back from selling merchandise of an opposing team in your own team shop. It is, it is beyond reason here. Like, like I'm you, looking you at the tweet right now. Do that. By Mariner Muse on Twitter. It's blown up, of course, got like 500,000 views. They got Vladdy t-shirts. They got different colors. They got the baby blues, the regular blues. And I think in the reflection, you can see jerseys. Like, they are fully selling Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and co. Let's say you make 20 grand off that. Is it worth it? No, I don't think the 20 grand is worth it. Yeah, not if even you're a Seattle Mariner and it. you know that they're selling the other team's merch in your store. That's what I mean. It's a slap in the face. Anyway. Let's bring in our next guest, Barry Bloom, senior writer at Sportico. Talk a little Shohei Otani and, of course, all the other impacts around baseball and sports at large. Uh, good afternoon, Barry. How are we doing? Good, good. That, that, that's a couple of uh, quick topics to, uh, to opine on right away. I mean, if the, the Padres have a lot more to worry about than DFAing rough net door. I can tell you that much. That's number uh, one. Do. Number, do, number yeah. two... It, number two, you know, the, because of the proximity of Seattle to Canada and Toronto being Canada's team, there's a lot of Canadian fans that come down from over the border into mm. Seattle to see those games. So they're catering to their Canadian fans just as much as they're catering to their American fans. And I agree with you. I don't think there's any sort of thing here where, you know, they're jinxing their own team by sell, selling stuff from the opposite uh, you know, the opposite or the opponent, it's not like the, when the Texas Rangers come in, they're doing the same thing. 
No, they're not, and I get they're catering towards Canadians, but, like, should you cater towards Canadians? I don't know if that's the best look. I mean, we live close to Buffalo. We're not selling Sabres gear uh, at Scotiabank uh, Arena. Like, I, I understand that there's money to be made, but should you be making that money uh, by doing that in the team shop? I'm not really sure, but you're the financial guy, and I guess uh, money is money at the end of the day. Yeah, as, long as, it's, uh, it, as long as you can convert it from Canadian to U.S., <laughs> That's true. That is true. Okay, so let's get into someone who's going to be making a lot of money. uh, Making a lot of money now, but making more money next year and beyond, and that's Shohei Otani. I think one of the interesting uh, things here with Shohei Otani is that the free agent value is so much different than what the trade market value may be right now. I mean, we were just talking to uh, Ben Verlander, excuse me, in the first hour. uh, And, yeah, like there's going to be interest. There might not be enough interest to actually pry him away from uh, the Angels, but I guess that's the Angels partly making that decision. And while I understand there will be a a price to pay for him, and some teams will be willing to spend a lot to get Shohei Otani in season, it seems like that pales in comparison to if he's a free agent and he hits market, just exactly what is going to be thrown in his direction. So let's start with the free agent value. I I mean, uh, people have talked about $600, $700 million. Someone recently said a billion dollars? Like, what do you expect to happen when Shohei Otani inevitably goes to market? Well, I just think it depends on, and I think Berlander pointed this out in the article I wrote about it right about a week ago during the All-Star break, that it depends on what he wants to do. If he wants to just keep doing two- or three-year contracts, he could go to 60, 70, 80 million on a three-year contract. If he wants to do the whole chunk all at once, then if somebody's willing to give him 10 years at $60 million, considering his injury history, then, you know, God bless him, and that's what he's going to be valued. I mean, you're going to value him partly as a pitcher, partly as a hitter. I think his value over time is really going to be as a hitter. This is not going to continue ad infinitum where he, he's going to be pitching and hitting for the rest of his career. But I think he proved that, even though he had Tommy John surgery, he was still a productive hitter during that period of time he couldn't pitch. So it, it's just it just depends. I mean, as I've said on other shows and in the article, it's unfortunate that the universe of teams that are going to go out to afford him really are not going to maximize any value at the gate or marketing or merchandising because they're already almost maxed out in most cases anyway that the teams that could use them, like the Diamondbacks or the Orioles or the Reds, are just not going to compete for them, and that's where they could have most max value for his contract. So what are what are the prerequisites to getting involved? Uh, I, I guess, you know, a pit of money also, it, it, you know, is compulsory here. But what Shohei wants is going to be a, clearly a value as well. So, like, how big is the pool of teams that could actually involve themselves realistically in the sweepstakes uh, regarding Shohei Otani if and when we get there? Well, I mean, I think it's the same teams that could be involved right now on a trade basis. But, I mean, mostly it's, uh, you know, you look at the high-revenue teams, you know, out west, the Padres, even with them losing their television money, you know, I think uh, they're still going to be a strong competitor for him. The Dodgers obviously have set aside a lot of money and are playing this year kind of short 
because they, they dumped about $100 million in contracts over the course of last offseason to set up having the money to go for him. So the Giants, I think, you know, because of the fact that they went headfirst at, uh, you know, at Aaron Judge and, and he went back to the Yankees, they've got money to burn in the – you know, they've got plenty of money there. You know, I think Seattle is one to want to consider, you know, with their background of Japanese ownership and, you know, Ichiro and, uh, you know, then the Mets and the Yankees you can never count out because, you know, they've got money and they're willing to spend it. But I just think it all comes down to which team thinks that if you add Shoei Otani, that's going to make the difference and make them a winner over the course of time. How many world championships is this going to translate to, and you can run that through a computer, analytically determine it as many ways as you want, and you never know because of all the, you know, the, the different variables that go into something like that. You can't quantify what he's going to be able to do. So winning is one thing, and obviously wanting to bring a World Series to your city uh, is is probably the starting point. Um, but when you look at how much money marketing and fan base and dollars, specifically in, even international fans, how how do you begin to put like a dollar sign on that or a valuation on that if you're a franchise? Because obviously you want to win, but you also want to make money too. Yeah, I say basically what I'm telling you is that you don't. You know, you can't, if he signs for $60 million a year, there's no way you can quantify any sort of sales uptick that's going to pay back or cover $60 million a year. You know, that's just outlandish. It, it's out there. You know, the closest I could give you, and, you know, I did my own math on this, and the, then the Yankees countered that they did no, you know, analysis of their finances when it came to judge. It was basically just an emotional decision. He had 52 home runs. He was a Yankee. They had to have him back. But then in the circumstances, you know, you're in the circumstances where the, uh, you know, you're looking at individual teams that, like I said, don't need or, or they're at capacity and they're, they're selling out their advertising, you know, revenue, their their marketing and their, you know, ticket sales are, are, are at a certain level. You can only sell a few more Otani jerseys, and most of that is what you sell on your own premises belongs to you, but most of it gets revenue shared at 50% with the rest of the league. So I just don't think there's any quantifying it for the teams that are at that level on what his value is financially. I do think for the lesser teams, if you were a lesser team, like I said, and you wanted to come in on, on this bidding, and basically you said, this is the value, and we'll do a cost-benefit analysis, and we'll, we'll, we'll determine and project how much money we're going to make in all these areas and how close we're going to get to covering it, I think that, that, that would be a big thing. But I don't think those teams are going to be involved. Well, that's interesting. Like, I didn't expect to, you know, I wasn't thinking about how, like, even the New York Yankees wouldn't be able to make money actively off Shohei Otani. But you saying that means one thing pretty clear about the L.A. Angels, which is that Shohei Otani is too big for the L.A. Angels. He is way too big for that market. I mean, I guess it's, you know, you were worth what but someone's going to pay you. But not, but not for this year. I, I think we're... No, not, not, not you know, for this year, but... 
but his contract's right, up, and we're... clearly he has to move on. Yeah, but, you know, now you're looking at it in the same vein as, like, the Yankees looked at it with Judge last year. Here's a guy with 35 home runs. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're going in the playoffs at this point, and the Angels still have an outside chance of going for the playoffs. But you're going to have a guy here who in September may be going for the record with 62 home runs or more at mm-hmm. 35 right now. So that is going to process into a in, into X amount of dollars for the Angels right now that they're not going to want to give up. That's why I don't see him be. He's not going to be traded. There's no purpose in them trading it. Whatever value package you can get back to him for them, uh, you know, in like prospects and maybe a mid-level veteran who could fill in, it's just not going to be worth it. The one thing I will tell you, and I did this on my own, you know, when I priced out what the Yankees judge was worth to the Yankees in September last year, I mean, there was a homestand where every the last eight games at Yankee Stadium drew capacity crowds. And if you quantified it, the Yankees made $40 million during that homestand because people were out there and they wanted to see Judge hit that home run. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Angels are going to do the same thing. They're going to look at, okay, if we're going to draw 32 right now at Anaheim Stadium, we can see 41. How much more of that are we going to fill in September of Shoei Otani's going for 35 home, or for 62 home runs, what, no matter whether or not we're in a playoff run or not? Then you look at it for next year and you go, hey, $50 million, that's breaking the budget. God bless some other team if they want to sign him. And Otani might not want to return anyway. It's just like the Yankees had no idea, was Judge going to return or was he going out on the open market? And really, the Giants came pretty close. They pitched him pretty close. And they, they were within, like, hours of, of, of signing Judge, and then Judge went back to the Yankees. So, I mean – to me, for the Angels right now, it's like just let them go and take the take the draft picks next year because they're they're going to be valued almost as much as what you're going to get in the market right now, and then you're not going to have them for the rest of the season doing what I just outlined. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I was going to ask you next about the internal calculations that the Angels are making, and it just sounds like hey, profit while you can, while you can on an asset that yeah. is worth far more than he's getting paid uh, right now. And I mean, this is the reality of sports, but it really is too bad that a guy who's done things or is doing things that no one else has ever done in this game, save for maybe Babe Ruth, uh, is sort of caught up in this uh, financial situation where it's not really about winning baseball games. Well, he mentioned Babe Ruth. Didn't uh, the Red Sox sell Babe Ruth for a hundred thousand dollars? Here's the uh, bet: he, he was pitching and playing. He was pitching and hitting for the Red Sox. That was the only time in his career in 1918 and 1919 they actually used him for full value as a pitcher and a hitter. And at the height of his young career, where he was doing what Otani was doing now, and could have had a career doing both. They traded him to the Yankees or sold him to the Yankees for $100,000. They didn't care about winning. And then you went into the curse of the Bambino and all that stuff, and they didn't win again until 2004. So, I mean, how you attributed it, you know, there's a lot of reasons in Red Sox history we're not going to go into all of it. But it was the same thing. It's the same thing with Otani right now. You know, it's like there are too many things to calculate in a free agency that – you know, you're not whether you're going to make a decision on what you want to do. 
making money, are, are you going to win? But you do know if you're the Angels, they've had Otani for five years. They've had a great bargain in with him. They've, been, they've had him for almost for $42 million for five years. The great part of that is what they're paying him, $30 million for this year because he was ARB eligible. But in his first year, they paid him a $2.3 million bonus. They've gotten the greatest bargain in history with this guy. And now they need to just see it through, even if they're not going to be able to sign him. And, yeah, they've they've squandered the greatest bargain, uh, at least in recent uh, Major League Baseball history. Let's go well, to – Well, you can't say they squandered it. I mean, it's, they've had Trout and Otani, and they haven't, they haven't been to the playoffs. They've well, had that's, Trout that, that's squandering for talent. 10, more, I mean, 10 uh, years. <laughs> and, yeah, they've had Trout for 10 years, and they've, they've not won a playoff game with Trout in their uniform. You know, you, you can only build around and try to do what you can do to put a te- winning team on the field. You make all these kind of deals and – you know, decisions, and, you know, half the time they don't work out. Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, that's the reality of sports, I suppose. Uh, let's go to uh, some other financial stories uh, in and around the sports world, some in far lesser scale, which is Connor Bedard. Uh, he signed his entry-level deal with the Chicago Blackhawks this week. Uh, Same money. <laughs> what, what kind of financial impact is Connor Bedard going to have on the future of the Chicago Blackhawks? Well, I mean, I, the Blackhawks have talked about that already. And, you know, for their – I mean, you're in a situation where you've got a salary cap, rookie salary cap player who's going to make $13.5 billion over the next three years. And and they already, in the first hours after winning the draft lottery, sold something like $2.5 million worth of season tickets. So, uh, you know, the question with the Dart is not – how much money he's going to be worth because he's going to be worth a ton of money. And again, you know, for a franchise like the Blackhawks, great. It's an original six team. They, you know, they, they are rebuilding. They've won, you know, three Stanley Cups in recent years. Where he would have been great would have been for the Ducks or the, or the Coyotes or a team that really needed a franchise builder to build around. The fact that he went to an original six team you know, it, it is too bad the way the lottery worked out. But great for the Blackhawks. And I, and I think that now it's, the question is, here's a 17-year-old just turning 18-year-old. He's a little smallest. And he's going to have to come into the NHL. And how well is what he did in junior hockey going to translate to the NHL? And if it does, then he's going to make a whole lot of money after this rookie contract. And the, uh, and the Blackhawks are going to have to cashed in early. Yeah, all eyes on Connor Bedard this upcoming fall and what he can do in his rookie season. And all eyes have been on uh, Lino Messi, who is now a part of the MLS and is in Miami. And that's a massive, massive move for the MLS and for that uh, fan base specifically. I mean, how does this rate in terms of storylines that you've been following? This is a big money moment. This is a big move for a superstar to come to the United States. Uh, what impacts are you seeing or, or predicting that that will bring at least to the sport and, and to uh, the the city, I guess, itself? Well, I met, you know, the Miami, it, it, it's not a, you know, it's not a small city. Miami's had, you know, g- great, uh, you know, production out of its major league teams over the course of time. You know, you just had the Heat in the finals. You just had the Panthers in the finals. You know, they, the, the, even as up and down as the baseball team has been, they've won the World Series twice down there. So, I mean, I think it's a great market. 
And I think that, you know, the, the one question that I have is that the soccer league has basically form, formatted itself on not spending this kind of money in this era as they're building their fan base and building stadiums to accommodate 20 to 30,000 in most cities to see their games. And so they have a salary cap. This goes well beyond that. And I think the owners are looking at this and how do you revenue share it? How do you sell tickets? You know, what kind of cut are we going to get on tickets? You know, blah, 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 as he goes around the league. So I think it has major impact on, on the sport in the United States. But with the Women's World Cup coming and the Men's World Cup coming in a few years, I've often said that I think the one thing that gets soccer over the top in this country is if the Men's World Cup team wins the World Cup. And they, they've come a little close once or twice, but usually they're not competitive. They need to be competitive in this country when that tournament starts. And I think coming off of Messi and having, you know, a, a huge impact. I mean, look, I was just looking at it. The two L.A. teams just played in the Rose Bowl on a fireworks night and drew 81,000 people. I think it's the biggest soccer crowd in professional sports history in the United States. So there's, there's a building and growing fervor for professional soccer at all levels in this country. And I just think that what the, you know, the, the, the signing of Messi does is just take that a step further. Yeah, lots of exciting stories right now in the sports world. We appreciate you breaking some of them down with us, Barry. Um, and enjoy the uh, the saga of uh, Shohei Otani and how that's going to unfold. We get to see him next week here in Toronto, and we don't know what jersey he'll be wearing after that, so we'll embrace it while we can. Yeah, he's always fun to watch. Have a good time. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks so much. For having me on. Yeah, anytime. Uh, that's Barry Bloom, senior writer at Sportico, and was writing some great articles about the Angels and uh, I guess just the financial state of this massive, massive player and who can and can't afford it. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, that's one of the uh, the first times I've heard someone, you know, kind of support what the Angels have done, at mm-hmm. least in the last couple of years of Shoei Otani. It seems like a major missed opportunity, at least to me, uh, but it kind of is disappointing that he's reached this this stage where he's kind of bigger than the game. Like it's almost it's almost difficult to house Shohei Otani because he's so big right now, and because he's not cashing in, or the Angels are not cashing in on him while he's a reasonably priced asset. It's going to be really really difficult for any team to cash in, despite because of what the price tag is going to look like. I, I mean. I would like to see, uh, you know, the New York Yankees or a team like that try to cash in on Shohei Otani and make up what it would cost to actually have him. Uh, but if it's not possible, maybe the suitors won't be as, as robust as we expect. I certainly don't have the financial brain that Barry Bloom did because that, none of that had occurred to me. No, I'm like, was, yeah, you get Shohei if you can. I'm like, just, yeah, <laughs> put it all on the table. What are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Put your chips in the 60 table. $60 million, that's nothing. That's nothing. Um, but it's good, different perspectives. Um, we're sitting here at the Rogers Center watching the Blue Jays start fielding some balls and getting. Uh, getting some people down there for autographs. It's cute. Like It's just like a whole lineup of folks that want to get pictures, and the uh, Blue Jays are doing that, and it's really sweet. Like They're they're out there on the field, and they come over, take some pictures, shake some hands, sign some autographs, and we're seeing it all here. Um, 
It's a nice view for us. And we're seeing it's a couple different. guys who may be dealing with a couple injuries who yeah. look like they're doing Do things some without being reports? unbelievably labored. Say no, names. I don't, don't want to get ahead. Of, I don't want to be insider Justin Say right it. now. You can see them. I saw a nice sprint from Jordan Romano <gasps> at one point. I saw the You're ball come first. off the hand of Kevin Gosman go. pretty comfortably. So maybe I'm just taking some, <laughs> some personal solace in those two things. Okay, Alec Manoa gets the mound tonight. I haven't seen him. I've been, uh, been browsing here, but he might be doing his own thing. I don't think he's out with the regular folk, uh, but he's getting the mound tonight. First start in quite a while <laughs> since he was here at the Blue Jays um, in front of the Blue Jays fans, hoping for a good uh, fan base behind him as the big Puma gets back out there. We have a, a three-day set here against the Padres as they go out of town. Uh, we've got one more guest, though, to wrap up our show. It's Ed Belfour. Head Belfour is going to join us. He was just inducted to the Dallas Stars Hall of Fame, um, deservingly so, Cup champion there. He spent a lot of time with the Toronto Maple Leafs and is a fan favorite here, so we'll chat with Eddie the Eagle. I might have a financial question for Eddie. Oh, no. We'll see if we get to it. I feel broke just listening to Barry. <laughs> like, I'm worried. I'm going to go check my credit card statement. Just after listening to Barry, and my, I feel I feel like I, I don't have any money left. Yeah, we should have asked Barry some financial, but like, The good thing is, it's Looney Dogs tonight. So you don't need to spend a lot of money tonight. This is the night where you can just spend, like, frivolously yeah, and say, you, sorry, you, Barry. No, you don't have to feel bad <laughs> about feeling full. Yeah, that's it tonight. Um, all right, it's Justin and Ailish on the final block here of Fan Drive Time. We'll be back with Ed Belfour after the break. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time. Justin Cuthbert, Eilish Forfar, live from the Rogers Center. Still three Looney Dogs on the board. Um, that must have been for some employees because the fans aren't <laughs> yeah. in yet. But we're gonna we're gonna at least triple that number. How about that? Just three put in a microwave somewhere, <laughs> and they got it up on. No, the they're rolling. They don't put them in the microwaves. Put them on the little rollers. I know, I know, but it's like pre. Have you ever had one? By the way, you haven't. No, I've not had a Looney Dog. And, and you do the show with me willingly. Tonight will not be the night. Just I get don't think. one. Actually, maybe because Live we're done. We're done here in a half hour. We may be delivering Looney Dogs to Dan Schulman at some point. I see him down there He's on, on the field, field though. Like, he I looks don't know, hungry. I don't know if we're going to be able to get there to feed Dan, but uh, I, if Dan has one. Oh, Vladdy's at the plate right now. Maybe I have this one. This is nice. So we're live at the Rogers Center before. Uh, oh, he just about crushed that guy. He almost hit someone in the outfield again. <laughs> if he, <laughs> it feels, That's not funny. It feels like. Yeah, a bad thing could happen if someone's not paying attention. Oh, that's funny. Vladdy just parked one. So that's very exciting and maybe a good omen for later tonight. All right. Uh, we're wrapping up our show with a Hall of Famer, Stanley Cup champ. It's Ed Belfour joining us live on the show. How's it going? Great. Glad to be here, guys. Hey, we really appreciate it. Hey, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, con uh, congratulations to start with your induction to Dallas Stars Hall of Fame. I know that the ceremony itself will be in October, but a pretty great honor. I know it's only the second year of it, so to be one of those guys um, very, very early on to be inducted, like what's that What's that mean to you on, on all of your lists of things you've accomplished in your hockey career? This has got to be one special one. Yeah, for sure. It's a, a tremendous honor. They. They kind of tricked me uh, with a, with a call and said it was going to be about uh, 
you know, our, our Stanley Cup anniversary coming up, and, uh, you know, it was quite a surprise and, and definitely a good one. So I'm going in with Hitch, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, you get to go in with Ken Hitchcock, as you mentioned. He's a builder. Uh, he was a coach, of course. So what's that relationship like? For, I mean, goalies and coaches sometimes have tight, <laughs> little tense relationships at time, but to go in with somebody that uh, means a lot to you personally, like that's got to be a special um, reunion together at least. For sure. You know, uh, we won the Stanley Cup together and, you know, did some amazing things there in Dallas. It was a dream come true, you know, for, for all of us. And, you know, you get the opportunity to do some special things together. And now you now you do some more get, getting, uh, you know, inducted to the Dallas Stars Hall of Fame uh, means a lot to me. Uh, as it should. And, of course, you're in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, I wonder, because you had to write and perform a speech there, if you saved any material or you got to rewrite an entire uh, speech and and, and uh, give two for the price of one. Well, I'll tell you a funny story about that. So I had this, you know, you get lots of time to prepare for your Hall of Fame speech. And, um, you know, I had put together, you know, all the people I wanted to thank and, you know, it was probably about 10 pages long, and I don't know how many minutes of what it took me to read it, but, you know, you get to Toronto and you start learning about the weekend, and, um, you know, they tell you about the whole ceremony, the process and everything. Oh, and by the way, you, your speech has to be under five minutes. And I'm like, there's no way my speech is going to be done in five minutes. So I threw the paper out the window and, you know, just, uh, you know, talked from the heart and off the cuff and, you know, that's the way I, I kind of like to do it anyway, and that's the way I'll do it with Dallas. And, you know, it'll be a fun event, and I look forward to having my family and friends and, and uh, hopefully some of my teammates there. Yeah, that's uh, that's a special one, and you have lots of time to prepare. And you know what? They'll just let you have the mic for as long as you want, I think, this time around. <laughs> it's your show. You can do it. Um, so you are going to be the second class inducted, as we mentioned. So, I mean, you're probably going to have a lot of answers for this, but someone that might be next in line to deserve this honor when it comes around next season. Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> so many guys on our team, uh, Hall of Famers. I mean, Joe, Joe Noondike, obviously. Uh, Zuboff. I mean, there's so many of us. Madonna, um, you know, just a great, uh, a great team we had, amazing team. And um, you know, last year, uh, you know, with Darren Hatcher, our captain, and, and Bob Ganey, you know, the, the mastermind behind our team. Um, you know, we just had an amazing team, and, and the record proves that. And, and the Stanley Cup, and we went to the finals again the year after that too. So. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is, they're, they're well-deserving. Okay, so going in with Ken Hitchcock, as we mentioned, um, I want to get a little bit more insight because we don't have him on the line, but we got someone that knows him pretty well. Um, how did he get the best out of his players? Like, What was his, what was his go-to, how you inspire, how you deal with different types of players that take different types of leadership examples? Like, how did he get the best out of his players and eventually you know, get to the ultimate goal? Well, Hitch was very detailed, you know, Every day he was very demanding of that. Um, you know, there's video and, and, you know, pay attention to the details. Uh, very defensive-minded. You know, we played a very safe game. Um, you know, we had uh, a great coaching staff. Uh, you know, Rick Wilson and, and Jarvis uh, were there, um, you know, supporting him. We, you know, just amazing coaching staff that were all on the same page. Um, you know, Bob Ganey wanted a certain 
system played that, uh, you know, he had learned throughout the days of being with the Montreal Canadiens and uh, Wilson Jarve, you know, and, and Hitch made a great team of implementing that, uh, you know, brought in Guy Carbonell, uh Mike Keane, the guy, you know, Montreal guys, uh, you know, Screwlin, you know, those guys, they knew the systems and, and how important defensive hockey is to, to winning. And, um, you know, every day, you know, he focused on, on teaching that and in practices and, like I said, lots of video. And, you know, we had a veteran team in the room that understood that's the way that we needed to play to win. And everyone bought into that system. And Hitch made sure that we were all on the same page. And, um, you know, like I said, we're a veteran team. We knew how to win. And, um, you know, you just need a little bit of coaxing here and there. And Hitch did a great job of that. More specifically, because I mean, we Justin and I both played hockey, but we were not goaltenders, and goaltenders are very special individuals, as we like to say. Um, how different is the goalie coach relationship? Because there's some pressure there. There's obviously not many of you um, in line to get the crease, but I know you dealt, dealt with some injury as well, and um, those are things you had to weigh in your career. How helpful was Ken Hitchcock throughout that time, and, and did you have a different relationship maybe than others on the team because of that position and, and those external situations? It definitely means a lot. Um, you know, when you have the starting goalie and, and the head coach on the same page and, and the respect is there, um, you know, you're going to be a lot more successful. And, and Hitch, you know, he understood that, uh, you know, I had some back problems. He gave me the time I needed off, you know, at, at certain points during the season. He knew that I needed to get rested up for the games and they were more important. Uh, he didn't force me to practice every practice. We did have a practice goalie, which, you know, really helped me recover and get in time, you know, for the games, which, you know, obviously that's the most important is winning games and being ready in the playoffs. Um, so I'm very thankful for that relationship. Um, you know, he allowed me to spend extra time with, with my family. At, at that time, they were still living in Chicago. So when they came in, you know, I got to spend time with, uh, Dane and Reagan, my, my kids. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, Hitch, he understood that, uh, you know, if, if Ed was on his game, you know, even if it was, you know, at 60% of, of what I could play, he knew that I was still going to help the team win. So very thankful for that relationship. And, uh, you know, it you know, led to some unbelievable records that we, we, we produced and, and obviously the Stanley Cup. Uh, we're chatting with Ed Belfour, who's adding a, another Hall of Fame to the resume in October. Uh, I don't mean to bring up your finances, Ed, but you signed a contract with the Maple Leafs 21 years ago this month. It was worth just a shade under $7 million annually. Uh, now in the NHL today, 21 years later, there are only three goaltenders making more than $6.7 million on an average annual basis. When I tell you that, when it's only gone up, you know, price of living has definitely gone up over 21 years. Is it just saying that goalies are still super undervalued or does it just say, hey, you're pretty thankful you didn't play in a salary cap era the entire time? Well, I'm very thankful, you know, for the opportunity to to play for the Maple Leafs. And, um, you know, I was well paid for that. Very thankful. Um, You know, Pat Quinn was, you know, another one of those amazing people that I got to play for. And, um I'm just always very thankful for that. And um, I think, you know, 
goalies are maybe um, in in this time and period. You know, like I played almost 20 years. Um, you know, it might be difficult to do that in today's game. It seems like you know the players are are a lot younger, and they don't play as long. They start obviously younger. I didn't. I was a rookie at 26, so you know a lot of guys have done their careers at 26. Um, you know, I I think you can see in the games, you know, that goalies are very very important. If if they're not on their game, you know, it's, it's very obvious, and and you have a lot less, you know, chance. The odds are you're not going to win, and so. I don't know. I think a lot of a lot of clubs make mistakes in the net with their decision making on on uh, the choices of their goalies. Um, also, you know the the contracts that are given out to some goalies over the years. There's been a lot of mistakes, which you know no one wants to to get caught into that scenario. So maybe they're very cautious about it. It's your main guy. If, if he does a great job for you, he's going to really help you in the playoffs. And obviously during the season, the main goal is to make, make the playoffs. If you got one of those guys, you're lucky. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, if you don't, it, it looks very obvious. You see Jake Ottinger as a guy worth investing uh, a lot of money and a lot of term in? I've had the chance to watch him over the last few years. He works really hard. Um, I love watching him play. He's he plays with instincts. Um, you know, he's uh, he's one of the bigger goalies that can do it. Um, I like the way he plays. No one has a crystal ball, but if if you're competing every night, night after night, um, you know, I think guys should be rewarded. Um, and over time, uh, you know, you just keep proving yourself, and guys should be rewarded for that. Um, you know, some some of the guys that have been paid some larger contracts, maybe, you know, maybe a bit premature on some, some of them and, and no GM wants to get caught into that scenario. Uh, a good scenario uh, presented itself, uh, I think, to Jim Nill, who was able to add Matt Duchesne this offseason on a th- one-year $3 million salary. Uh, what do you think Matt Duchesne is going to do for the Dallas Stars this year? Well, again, I mean, just you just never know. Um, you know, you hope you get the best out of every player that you sign, and you know it starts in training camp. And um, you know, I remember when when we came into camp and Bob Gainey got up and spoke to everybody. It was dead silent in the locker room, and uh, you know, right from the start, you know, he made it very clear that we were going to play, you know, a defensive style system, and everybody's going to buy into it. And and if he didn't want to, you know, come and see me, and and we'll take care of that. And I think that's really important. I don't know if that works in today's game, but it's really important that the whole team buys into, you know, what the system is and what the coach wants and what the GM wants. And everyone has to be on that same page to be successful. And I always hope the best, you know, for, for every everybody, you know, when they sign a guy and, you know, you just want success. You want, uh, you know, guys to do good. You want the team to do good. And, and obviously, you know, for me, the Dallas Stars, very important organization and um, you know I always hope the best for them 
We're talking to Ed Belfour, Hall of Famer, Stanley Cup champ. And uh, as the Stanley Cup champion, you might have the recipe that we're looking for in terms of what a championship culture is. Like, what does it mean to be a cup-winning team? You talked a lot about the unity and the, the fight for each other, the play for each other. But there, was there something that really set your team over the over the edge into the, being able to hoist the greatest trophy in sports? Is there, like, a, a thing that you just noticed with that team that was different? Well, again, you know, it has to be, you know, everybody on the same page from the top down, the, the general manager, the coaches, the players you sign, the, the free agency, free, free agents that you sign, uh, your draft picks. You know, they all have to buy into that, that system. So, you know, the scouts have to be on the same page with the type of players that they're drafting and, and looking at to sign. And Bob made it very clear that we were going to play, you know, that hard-nosed defensive-style game. Everyone bought into that. Everyone was very competitive on our team. There was no quit, and, and we had a lot of good leadership and, you know, resilience, and you had guys who would sacrifice ice time. Um, you know, look at the guys we had that you know, normally would be maybe a, a first-line first, uh, player on other teams, and they're playing on a third or fourth line, and when they got out on the ice, they, you know, they didn't float. They, they worked their, their asses off, and, and they did what it took to help the team win that game. And that's what it takes. Uh, so this uh, fan base in Toronto, last one for you, Ed, uh, is maybe in its feelings just a little bit because it feels like, hey, a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who we thought would really, really want to be a Maple Leaf, would maybe stay a Maple Leaf and left us sort of hanging here and speculating of why it wasn't the right position for him. Uh, I, I sort of understand that the spotlight isn't for everyone, but you enjoyed being a Maple Leaf and you said as much. So what for you was it like to be a Maple Leaf? What did it mean to you to be a Maple Leaf? And if the challenges are the challenges, what are the benefits of being a Toronto Maple Leaf? Well, first off, it was amazing, um, you know, to play for the Maple Leafs and be in the spotlight. You know, it's the hockey mecca of the world. Uh, I remember, you know, going to opposing buildings and there's more Leaf fans than, than the uh, you know other team home fans. So that was a that was a real you know, surprised in the beginning. And, and also at the same time, I was like, wow, this is awesome. And, you know, it was just every day, everyone knows the game. Everyone's so focused on the game. And that's what I want. You know, the hockey's the best game in the world. And, uh, you know, I hate playing second fiddle to any other sport. And in Toronto, you don't. You know, it's the Leafs. And, um, you know, it, it was just such a honor to play for the Leafs. Uh, every day was was a you know a treat to go to the rink and uh you know just be part of 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 the the tradition the history um and pat quinn was just an amazing coach and gm for for me and we had we had a great team we were really close we ran into some injuries you know timing has a lot to do with winning too if you can stay injury free but um you know we were close and uh, i just loved my time there um i I, it was one of the saddest days for me when, when I had to leave. Uh, but I'll, I'll have those memories for the rest of my life. And, you know, I always thought, you know, it would have been just out of this world to, to hoist the cup in Toronto.
Well, uh, the fan base loves you just as much as you love them. Eddie, you're a, you're a fan favorite here. We really appreciate your time. Great to catch up with you. Congratulations on the Dallas Stars honor. Uh, much deserved. And we'll chat with you maybe later on this season uh, when the Leafs are maybe they're play, playing against the Dallas Stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bet. Well, thanks so much for having me, and, and take good care. You as well. Uh, that's Ed Belfort, Hall of Famer, Stanley Cup champ, and, of course, former Maple Leaf Dallas Star uh, will be inducted to the Dallas Stars Hall of Fame this October. Uh, certainly a well-loved guy around here. we got the text lineup. People love to hear from Eddie. And uh, he certainly loved being a Toronto Maple Leaf, and that is a nice feeling and a nice thing to hear. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable, uh, you know, the how it affects people differently, right? Like, I, I don't know if it's something that maybe grows on you later. I'm not sure if it's something you maybe appreciate a little bit later on or you can appreciate in the moment and maybe maybe you just don't want to double down on that. But it feels like the appreciation is definitely there and maybe even omnipresent afterwards for those mm-hmm. who are able to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But maybe it is a challenge uh, when you're doing it in present day. And, of course, we're alluding to Ryan O'Reilly a little bit. The hot dog counter is... They just saw it go from three to four, up. guys. So that, that got some excitement out of Ailish. It's happening. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little perturbing at this stage because this season, like last season and the season before, means so much, and you just want people to want to be a part of it uh and that's why maybe fans going through it just a little bit yeah um still lots of time for some people to to say nice things about maple leafs we had ed, <laughs> ed balfour on and that's a good start so we're sitting here at the rogers center watching blue jays uh, finishing up here their their batting uh practice there's bo bichette we saw vladdy mid-interview hit a homer to the west jet flight deck like it was nothing so maybe you're getting your betting odds open you're looking for a vladdy homer tonight he looked like he was in fine form he went down signs of autographs we got a nice view of the kiddos uh looking for vladdy bo's in the box right now and uh, guys are looking good. Guys are looking ready. Big game tonight. Alec Manoa on the mound. First time here at the Rogers Center since June 5th when he was kind of booed off the field. Uh, one out and that really tough inning uh, that we all witnessed. And then we didn't see Alec Manoa for a little while. So hopefully rejuvenated, different, big boom on the mound tonight. Yeah, pretty impressive watching these guys take batting practice. I'm not sure how much it translates. Maybe we need to ask Ben Wagner when we're done the show how how uh, how automatic it might be for Vladdy who could not miss like, in Do you think you practice. could hit? Like, are you good at baseball? I've never even asked you this. Uh, no, no, no. Quit like, at would a very you play softball age. at all? Like, yeah, like, we played some softball. Like, would we you play beer softball. league softball yeah, now? Yeah, we did. We did. There's a, there might be a championship what? under the belt in beer league softball. When was this? Oh, probably, not recent. Probably about 10 years ago. Oh, I mean, like, would you play now? Uh, I would, but uh, it's something that fell through the cracks. Just I'm a, a lefty. Are you? They might need me. I'm surprised you don't have a league because it's very, very I accessible. I have too many things going on. In the thing is, Toronto. I live right beside multiple parks, and there's always people out there playing uh, softball. I, and I'm like, hey, maybe one day I'll just like bring my glove out and see if someone needs me. You could add that to your leisure activity for sure. I would love to. Um, I didn't have lots of power. Um, I was a starting pitcher on my high school softball team. We won a championship, so not a big deal. There you go. And um, not the greatest with the power, though. Like, I couldn't I couldn't hit these bombs that were watching these guys hit. But, like, I would think maybe in softball you don't need that. You kind of need, like, low, hard, hard to field. Like, nobody's an expert out there. Well, they don't have Matt Chapman on the hot corner. I think we need Kevin Barker. Like, I probably could have used a, a If a, I had one lesson, two. different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I actually kind of know in retrospect, I think, what I was doing wrong to be a little – I was a little bit of a soft hitter as well. But but I, yeah. I feel like, you know, one session, you and I with Kevin Barker, and maybe we could uh, go from light hitting to mild well, power. Well, I had one tennis lesson this weekend, and I honestly feel like I had three tweaks, and I'm going to be way better. It's I know it's silly to say, but, like, maybe I just need one lesson. 
get in the batter's box and like learn how to actually like rotate my hips. That was a problem. My hip surgery. I'm not like you know the most mm. flexible. Uh, yeah, just it wasn't great in there. It didn't feel good. You, you also know? got a little dig in on me when you uh, announced that because you're like, hey, uh, one lesson might be able to help you. Uh, you should probably think about that Maybe with golf. And I was like, uh, why did I deserve that strength? We got a big like, golf just, day on Thursday. Just enjoy your tennis lesson no, 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 and don't no, bring my failures into the conversation. We're all good. Uh, Looney Dog counts out at five. So the slow <laughs> climb here. We need like an investigation into these five dogs. Like how have five been sold before They're five probably just staff or only like, five. Or people out here, you know, like the doors are going to open shortly and that number is going to skyrocket. Uh, I, I will have to get a couple. Justin might have his very first loony dog of the day um, of the season of the, of his life, really. Yeah, of my life for sure. I might share it with Dan, a little moment with Dan <laughs> Shulman, because I think you are going to deliver one to him. I'm looking for him on the field. I can't find him. So he might be in his broadcast position, prepping. which means you might be able to serve Dan dinner because he's been screaming for loony dogs and no one yet has delivered one to him. So it's probably time for that to change. All right. Well, fun show today. Uh, we're back again tomorrow. we got Alec Minow on the mound against Joe Musgrove. That's a big one. Uh, uh, looking for a, a good return for Alec Manoa here at the ballpark. Should be a pretty uh, pretty busy night, too. Like a nice Tuesday. Dome is closed also, folks, that we're asking. The dome is currently closed. It did rain a little bit on our walkover. I don't know if there's a forecast update that it might open, but currently closed. It's a nice chill temperature in here. Yeah, it's a big one. I mean, we just had a break, right, with the All-Star break. We just had a day off Monday, but this is a legit series, a team we don't see often. Three really good pitchers for the Padres and a huge night for Alec Manoa. I mean, Friday was one thing in Detroit. It's this a is a whole another animal here with the Padres. So he will be the lead tomorrow, good or bad, mm-hmm. but looking forward to seeing what Alec Manoa has in his second game back from his return and of course his first at Rogers Center. All right, you got Blair and Barker sending you off into the evening and then this guy right right beside us, Ben Ben Wagner is going to be taking the call. So we got a whole fan fan 590 up here. Uh, Appreciate everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Enjoy the game.